Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning again. Didn't she do really great on that song right there? I got to go to the 1984 Olympics uh, that were here in L.A., and I remember when an American, I was there when an American won a gold medal and they played the national anthem. Oh my gosh, your tears just, you know, tears well up because you're so proud an American won something and the stars, it's just fantastic. So, but, but a national anthem is played. But um, today we're going to talk about on July 4th weekend, the Antichrist, okay? <laughs> That's where we're at in our series. If you're watching from home, we're going to, this one's called The Beast Part One. So, I want to, because I've got a lot of ground to cover today, <clears throat> and I really do, I want to begin with a verse, uh, and that's chapter, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, then I want to dissect it a bit. It'll be up on the screen also. It says, and the dragon stood on, on the sand of the seashore. Now, the dragon is none other than Satan himself. We find he's called the dragon and the red dragon in Revelation. Um, <clears throat> it says, then I saw a beast. Now, the beast, this beast here is the one we're going to be talking about. He's not the only beast that we find in the seven-year tribulation period. There are actually two beasts in the tribulation period. One is the Antichrist. The other one we'll find out next week when we look at the other beast, and that one was called the false prophet. And we'll talk more about him next week. We'll, we'll jump in a little bit this week, but next week is going to cover a lot of territory on that. So we saw this, this beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns <clears throat> and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, diadems are crowns. And on his head were blasphemous names. Blasphemous means to speak evil about God. Now, looking at that verse, notice he has ten horns. Horns in the Bible are, are symbols of strength and authority. He's got ten of them. So that means he's got a lot of authority and he's got a, a lot of power. Now, he has seven heads. We know that Jesus is the head of the church, so he's the top dog. He's got seven heads. And so seven is the number of completeness. So now you start piecing things together, and this guy has complete power and complete authority. Now, if you remember, um, I think it was last week when we looked at the Antichrist comes on a white horse, and he's carrying a bow. Anyone remember that one? He's coming first as a peacemaker, politician type guy. But then he's quickly going to change. He's going to have full power and authority. But if you notice on the horns, on the authority pieces, he also has 10 crowns on those 10 horns. Now that's very interesting because you're letting the Bible interpret the Bible, which is what you always want to do when you interpret Scripture because if you don't let the Bible interpret the Bible, then you're going to run into all kinds of lies and heresy. But we can take that and we realize going back to Daniel in the Old Testament letter of Daniel, Daniel interprets a dream for a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. And the dream was a statue of different types of metals. Daniel's interpretation of the statue as he's looking into history from long before history was happening. And Daniel's one of the most prophetic books. The things that he clearly states, nails on the head, some people try to argue that it was written way after it happened. Uh-uh, no, it wasn't. Daniel writing about 2,600 years ago nails these things. But the statue, as Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar of the statue, he says the, the, the top of the statue, the head was 
was made of a certain metal and that's gold but that was the Babylonian empire of which he was in at the moment because Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon but he says after your empire there will come another one and after you will come the Medo-Persian empire some of you have seen the movie the 300 that's the Persian empire they toppled the Babylonian empire they took Babylon when they diverted the Euphrates river and came under the water canal water engines to the city but after that, as Daniel prophetically states for the future, he talks about another kingdom. Another kingdom would be the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great as he's marching off the map. And if you go back to Daniel, you find such specifics of that kingdom and how it dispersed four ways with four generals and the little horn and etc. everything else. It's incredible. But then next comes the legs of iron. And iron would be the next empire. That's the Roman Empire. But after the Roman Empire, he says, in the later days, in the last days, days like we're living in right now, he says, there'll be these 10 toes. 10, remember the number 10 we just read in verse 1? He says, there's 10 toes. Now, they're mixed. They're a mixture. They're made of iron, which is like Roman Empire stuff, but they're also mixed with clay. Now, clay and iron do not adhere to each other very well. But take the number 10 there and the 10 there, and we've come to the realization that this empire that will exist in the last days, these ten toes, that that is what many of us, including myself, believe will be the European Union that we see right now in Europe. Now, somebody who knows their math and knows government knows there are more than ten nations right now. Remember, it's clay and iron. They do not adhere well. But it will, it will uh, define itself to ten. And he will rise up through that European Union uh, in Europe. He will rise up as a powerful man there. And from that place, he will begin his, his um, uh, desire to rule the world with a lot of bad things that come after that. <clears throat> now, after the rapture, when this man of sin comes on the scene, you've got to believe and you've got to know that uh, there will be a lot of prosperity for the first three and a half years. And why would I know that without even having to check twice? Because think of all, if, let's say it happened right now, the rapture. Think of all the wealth that you and I would leave behind. The homes that we own, the retirement accounts, you know, whatever you have in your lockbox in the bank, you know, all this stuff, all this stuff would go to those people that, you know, relatives that did not follow Christ or whoever they were, it's going to go to them. There's going to be a lot, a lot of money being spent. So it's going to be a good three and a half years of the first seven years. But all hell is going to change at a certain moment. See, I watch murder mystery programs. I don't know if you're crazy like me. I like them. I like 48 Hours Mystery. I like, I love ID Channel. I mean, it's like, but I, I have found, and it's interesting to me because Satan is so consistent. Have you ever noticed Satan's consistent? He just does the same things repeatedly. And in those shows, you find basically the same types of crimes all the time. Different faces, but similar crimes. There's massive similarities. Um, and one of them is this, and some of you have seen this in real life, and I'm just, I'm just talking to you from a TV show that pulls out real life, real life stories. But you've seen where somebody dates someone and, and maybe let's put ourselves in that position. They bring this person over and your, your relative or your friend's dating him and the person's so nice. This person they brought, they're so nice and they're so helpful and they're so friendly and they're just, and they, man, you, this is the greatest person in the world. How did you ever find this person? And then they get engaged. And then you're thinking, man, you got a great catch there. But there's always somebody in your family who's going, I'm not sure about that guy. Any amens on that? Somebody's always kind of like, I'm not sure. And then they get married. And after they get married, like on the TV shows of real life, 
then that person, all of a sudden something snaps in their head and they change. And they're not the person that they were through the dating process when they came over and they're kissing grandma on the cheek and they're not that person. And many times as in those shows, they end up murdering the person they married to make it look like an accident and they pull out an insurance policy on that person and they, so they can get the money and then move on again. So they came out as a real nice person, but there was always a devious plan behind the scenes. Well, let me tell you something about the Antichrist. He's just like that. He's going to come out as a great guy, but he's got a devious plan behind the scenes. Now, as a Christian, follower of Christ, watching home, remember, we're not going to be here. So everything I'm going to say, don't panic, okay? Don't go, I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my, no, don't worry. We're not going to be here. But he will change colors. Now, hold that thought there. Let's read the key verse for the series and read our tagline for the series. And I'm going to ask you to read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three, four. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all... Israel will be saved. We'll get to that all Israel later on in weeks to come. But, um, <clears throat> so this is talking about whenever the last person in the church age that we live in now, whether the last person that's going to put their faith in Christ, whoever they are, wherever they are, when that happens, we don't know who it is, but when it happens, that's when the rapture takes place and the Christians are taken out the planet. And we, we already look at the signs of the times. It could be in my lifetime, may not be, could be in my kid's lifetime. I don't put timetables on things um, because I remember in 79 when uh, Russia invaded Afghanistan, all the end-time teachers were saying the rapture could happen this week, and that was 41 years ago now. So I don't do things like that. After a while, you realize it's when it happens, it happens. I just need to be ready. Any amens? So I just do that. Now, so, but it's going to happen. And so our tagline is this. It's the call you don't want to miss. The rapture is the call you don't want to miss. Say it with me, one, two, three. It's... And so logically, then you're saying, well, if it's not going to happen possibly in our lifetime, why do it? Well, what if you die? You got to make sure that you're right with Jesus Christ before you die. Because if you die and you're not a follower of Christ, there's no hope for you anymore. It's an eternity apart from God. That's called hell. And Jesus spoke more on hell than he did about heaven because he was trying to warn people about these places. So here we go. I'm going to give you three things this morning about the Antichrist, and we're going to keep hitting him as weeks go by because there's so much about this guy that's uh, pretty fascinating in my opinion. So number one, your notes. The most amazing thing is the Antichrist will die and he will rise from the dead. How many knew that? Say, I knew that. Not everybody knew that, but he will die and he will rise from the dead. Now, Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. Watch this. That's why I need to read your Bible a little more. You'll see these things. <clears throat> verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now, just to be fair, I know that some people believe that this is this will be the death of an economy of a nation in the tribulation period and that he will resurrect that head, that economy, and they'll be amazed. Some people believe that. I get it. I don't believe that. Um, I, I believe a whole different way and I'll show you why I believe what I believe about his actual death and resurrection. So, 
Zechariah chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. Zechariah prophesying over 2,000 years ago, looking into the future, he prophesies about this worthless shepherd, who it is. He's talking about the Antichrist. Now watch. For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing. He will not seek the scattered or heal the broken or sustain the one standing. Now notice he's doing the exact opposite of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, when Jesus begins in ministry in Luke, in Luke 4, 16, 17, 18, when Jesus talks about the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and et cetera, et cetera. He's the exact opposite of Jesus. But he's trying to look like Jesus but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. That's vicious. Woe to the worthless shepherd, now watch, who leaves the flock. He doesn't care. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. There will be an assassination attempt upon his life. His arm will be totally withered. His right eye will be blind. Now let me tell you what's going on here and how it all fits together. The Antichrist at some point, and I don't know if he really dies, to be honest with you. It just could be all faked to make it look like he's the Jesus Christ character. But there will be an attack upon him. And he, in the attack, he will die. It will be made to look like he dies, whether he dies or not, I don't know. But let's just say he does die. But he will, and everybody will see this, and then he will rise from the dead. Maybe their procession going down the road, everybody, the people are going, oh my gosh, this leader who put the world together during a time of crisis, and he will rise up from the dead. But what will be leftover scarring is his right arm will not, he will not have mobility, and his right eye will probably have lost his right eye in the attack. Now that's interesting for multiple, multiple reasons. And one is this, going back to Revelation chapter 13 I will ask you a question first question where will the antichrist want to put a mark on people's body a mark of allegiance on the right hand or on the on the forehead remember that now remember he's wounded right arm withered right eye gouged out and so he keeps those scars there now watch revelation 13 verse 14 15 and 16 it says this and we'll go into these in greater detail next week these verses and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who have the wound of the sword and has come to life. Did you just catch that? Say yes. yes. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak. That's wild, weird stuff. Next week, trust me and causes many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, not some, not a few, everyone, causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free man and the slaves to be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. Isn't that interesting? Here's my, here's my, my thoughts on that. If the Antichrist has an assassination attempt upon his life, and he dies, he comes back from the dead, his right hand is withered, his right eye is gouged out. Now, where does he want people to take the mark upon their body of Pledge of Allegiance? Right hand or forehead? Now, why, why would that be? Well, <clears throat> why do some Christians wear crosses? Why is there a cross outside our church and other churches? The cross, some of you tattoo a cross on your body, the cross 
is a mark of identification, is it not? And since he is a copycat, he's going to want people to identify with his wounds the way you and I would identify with the wounds of our Jesus Christ. And so he'll want people to take a mark on the right hand because his right arm's withered and on the forehead because his right eye is probably gouged out. And this is their mark of identification that you are a follower of the beast, whoever he may be. And he may be alive right now on planet earth, doesn't know he's the beast, doesn't know he will rise to power because he will be inhabited by a demonic power at a certain moment. Now here's what's fascinating to me as I thought about it. In Revelation, as you read during the tribulation period, you will find that people are going to fall all over this sky. <clears throat> but we live in a world right now where people increasingly, have you ever noticed, have you ever had anybody tell you, because I've had quite a few tell me, I just can't believe uh, somebody could rise from the dead. Ever heard that one before? One of my buddies, when I was witnessing him, he goes, he said, I just can't believe anybody could come back from the dead and that's a, a real reoccurring theme now you and I as followers of Christ we don't have a blind faith there is evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead so always remember that they're going to say there's no evidence there is evidence but here's my thing in the tribulation period this guy is going to die and rise from the dead and people are going to fall all over themselves and they're going to worship him they're, they're going to love this guy, and they're going to believe in him. This is the guy that came to save the world. Why? Why say, I can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and why say, oh, Antichrist, yeah, he rose from the dead. I can believe that. Why? Let me tell you why. And it's a simple answer, in my opinion. Because they're going to see it on TV. Every eye's going to see these things. They're going to see it on their phone. They're going to see the replay. Everybody's sharing video. Everybody's going to see this guy, the assassination attempt. And they're going to see him rise from the dead because they're now eyewitnesses to the fact. See, people nowadays, like you and I, we were not eyewitnesses to the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection. We weren't there. But there were eyewitnesses, were there not? There were eyewitnesses. We have 11 disciples. That's the minimum amount of eyewitnesses. There's many, many more. And they saw Jesus crucified. And they saw his resurrected body after the crucifixion with the marks and everything else. They saw it all. And these 11 guys go into the world to preach the gospel to many people. And they didn't go together. They separated and they went their different ways to reach people all over the world to spread this thing out. They died martyrs' deaths for their faith. I mean, I could see one or two crazy enough to die for a lie, but all 11, at some point, somebody's going to say, hey, it was a lie. We just made it up. Don't kill me. Now, somebody might be thinking this, but don't people today blow themselves up for their faith and what they believe in? Yeah, you're, yeah, crazy, that's crazy. But they're doing, they're giving their life up for something that they believe. The disciples gave up their life as martyrs for something that they saw. They saw the resurrection. They saw Jesus. And so in Revelation, when they see this resurrected Antichrist, they're going to buy all into it because they're going to be eyewitnesses to that, to that situation, to that, to that fact. Now, the first thing is this. Can you imagine 
This man's going to die, assassination attempt, come back to life. The world's going to be all over there. They're going to love this guy. The second thing we see about the Antichrist is this. Um, <clears throat> he will bring Satan what he's always desired. What has Satan always wanted? He wants to be worshipped. He's always wanted that. Now look at Revelation chapter 13 and look at verse 4. I'm going to drink some water. Would you guys read the verse for me as I drink some water? Is that okay? Okay, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Hmm, that's interesting. As a result of the death and resurrection of the Antichrist, this beast, they're going to worship the dragon, Satan, indirectly. You say, people are going to be Satan worshipers? There's people are Satan worshipers today. And not the way you think, I mean. Anytime they worship a false god, that's Satan worship. Anytime we worship anything, any object, or even a person, that's demonic worship because we made that thing an idol not that they themselves are demons but we make it an idol and the Bible says behind every idol there is demonic activity so you got to think spiritually and behind the scenes in these cases but notice in verse 4 they make an interesting statement when they say this as far as the death and resurrection they say who is like the beast who is like this guy I can tell you who is just like him Every mass murder in the history of this world. Any amens? Some of you are from my generation. Do you remember an old Rolling Stones song, Sympathy for the Devil? It's a real cool song. Whoever, when they wrote those lyrics, it was like very insightful. They're, they're speaking. It's like the devil is speaking, and he's telling the world, every bad thing that's happened, I was there, and I was responsible for it. And so this beast... He will be, who is like him? Every mass murderer that has ever lived. Now, once again, the question, what has Satan always wanted? Always wanted worship. When he was Lucifer, he wanted worship. That's what got him removed from his position in heaven. He wants worship. And now he's come all the way down the pike, and this is what he's going after again in the tribulation period through the Antichrist. Now, <clears throat> notice the copycat. Death, resurrection, they worship him, but the worship is really directed to Satan, like you and I would worship Jesus, and it's directly directed to the Father. Any amens? You see the copycat nature? Somebody say amen over here. Okay, God bless you. Okay, now watch this. He's always wanted worship. So let's go back in time, back in the eons of time, back before time began on earth, and let's see what happened in heaven. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 14, 12, 13, 14 says this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. Lucifer is the star of the morning. Lucifer becomes Satan after he sins. He's the star of the morning. Son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Here's why. But you said in your heart, here's the five I wills. They're famous. I will ascend to heaven. I will Raise my throne above the stars of God. Who did he want to be above? God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What did he always want? Worship. Okay, I got some thoughts.
Why is it? Or have you ever noticed that when some of us believers are going through a tough time and it's really heavy time, we, we say things to ourselves like, I, I just can't go to church and worship. Have you ever wondered why people say that? Have you ever thought that maybe when you're going through that time, Satan doesn't want you to worship? Have you ever thought that? It's funny, I, I just can't go to church and worship. We can get up and go to the refrigerator, but I can't go to church and worship. Have you ever wondered why some of us come to church, but we will never sing any of the songs? You say, well, I can't sing. You could whisper it. Have you ever wondered why what goes in our head of why we can't sing? Have you ever thought of the spiritual battle behind the scenes? That the enemy, the star of the morning, Lucifer, he doesn't want you to worship God. Let me tell you why. Star of the morning, you know what the Hebrew word is for that? Halel. What word does that sound like for us? Add, a, add one more syllable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lucifer, now Satan, his name was originally Halel. The Yah at the end is God, Jehovah, Jehovah. Praise ye, his name was praise. He was, he was the praise leader of heaven. And so he doesn't want you to sing to God. He doesn't want you to worship God. He would never want you to even sing anything that we say. Nothing. Don't put any worship music in your car. Nothing. You know why? Because every time the words come out of a worship song, hallelujah, it reminds him of who he was. It reminds him of what he wanted and he didn't get. And he just can't stand that at all. Now, here's where I segue, and I'll come back and finish this. So I'm not going there yet um, in the AV room. Some of you know. Some of you know. You know that they placed a ban on us that we couldn't sing today, right? How many knew that? I'm just curious. It came out Thursday evening. We, you know, they're banning singing in churches. Because remember, and they close restaurant, dining rooms, and they can't go to the beach, and you can't do anything. And I'm not trying to be callous. But always be careful because, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, they will always use fear to get you to, to go a certain way. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm just confident in God. It's, all, it's not me because I'm, I'm a scaredy cat. I had to make a decision. I, I don't make them quickly or lightly. I, I don't. I'm not a rebellious person. I'm not. I have followed all the guidelines. I've done everything. It, it's been frustrating. Um, that, you know, and I'm not trying to make you more frustrated. That's not my goal. But you know, it's been frustrating that I can walk into Walmart, Target, Vons, Staters, and everybody's in there touching everything else but I, we couldn't have church or anything because they considered us non-essential. But we know as spiritual people that the spiritual life is the most essential. You know, but I, but, you know, I do not expect the culture in the world to understand that. Trust, I don't expect that. I follow the guidelines. Even though it was frustrating for me as they're saying, and, when, and when now when they said, you can't sing, and I thought, and I'm not, you can peacefully protest all you want. Yeah, my dad fought in World War II for you freedom, and I would defend your right to do that. 
But they're out there all together yelling and screaming. And then, but you guys can't sing in church. That, that's never made sense to me. But let me tell you something. I finally had to say, I can't do what you're telling me to do. I, I can't do this. Now, now let me also, I got to remember everything I want to say because I really thought this through. Um, in Daniel, and this is what I've been basing my life on because I don't go with what anybody thinks or what they feel. What you think or what you feel, if it does, doesn't go with this, it's irrelevant to me. It's irrelevant. It's just what you think and feel. You're a human, I'm a human. We could be completely off and wrong. I just go with this. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel is asked to eat and drink from the king's stuff. They did not tell him he couldn't worship his God. But just kind of come and blend a bit, and they're trying to re- frame his thinking through the literature and education. He even changed his name. That is happening more today. I will be doing a series later this year called Reset, where I'm going to show you what's really going on. Uh, I've been working on that one for a little while now. I, so I could be like Daniel and say, well, let me do this and I'll do this. I'll follow your guidelines, but let me do this and this. But in Daniel chapter 6, everything changes. The Persian government is overthrown the Babylonian and Daniel's a high officiate in, the, in that government, and they pass a sneaky law, as they do today in America. And the sneaky law says, because they don't like Daniel, because he worships his God, they said, no one for the next 30 days can worship their God. They must worship you, O king. So they pass the law. Daniel hears of the law. What does Daniel do? He says, you know, I could, have, I could do this before, but now you've stepped in and said, you're not going to worship your God. Now what they've done is they've taken law and put it above Scripture. They've now said, I can't worship God. See, my New Testament teaches me how to function in whatever kind of government or situation that I'm in. It really teaches you that. It never tells you to overthrow government. It just doesn't. Because Jesus wasn't interested in that. If he was interested in that, when he came in on Palm Sunday, he would have marched to the Roman headquarters and say, we're going to overthrow government. That's not what, that was not what he lived for. So Christians, let's get it right. So, but in chapter 6, when they say you can't worship God, he goes up to his house, he opens the windows, and he begins to pray and worship his God. Because you're not going to tell me not to worship my God. And I thought long and hard, because I God, I'm not a rebellious person. But I can't do this one can't do it now let me talk to some of your leaders out there you know what it feels like to carry pressure don't you you know that the buck stops with you you know that people are looking to see what you're going to say and so I try not to say what I think I try to say what this says but I had to make a decision and I made the decision what I thought was best and what was right and what was biblical we're going to sing we're going we're to sing I think that was that simple Now, let me say this, too, because I don't want to sound like some anarchist, because I'm not. Um, I, I, I'm not against Governor Newsom. I, I think in his mind he's probably doing what he thinks is best. I, I honestly think that. I don't agree with a lot of his decisions, but my gosh, I don't agree with some decisions my wife makes. <laughs> and she don't agree with a lot of decisions that I make. 
but we still love each other. And so I don't think he's out to get me or anything. I just think this is the way he looks at life. So I'm not against him. I just don't agree on this issue biblically. And I couldn't follow it because my Bible supersedes human law. Now, with that said, I'm not an anarchist. And so whatever side of the aisle, watching at home, politically you're on, I'm going to say something that Christians just, I, I, I guess I finally came to the realization they're ignorant. They're just ignorant. Not stupid, just ignorant. In Romans chapter 13, it teaches us to obey governing authorities. All of them that are over us here. In, 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 uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says to pray for our leaders, for kings, meaning political figures, to pray for them. Not like, oh God, please kill them. No, not that. Pray God's best for them. I pray for Governor Newsom for his salvation. I hope you do. I hope you do. And then Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11-17, he says, submit to governing authorities. I hear so many Christians want to overthrow this, and we're going to, you know, if it's above Scripture, yes, but we're not anarchists. We're not saying, I'm going to fight. I'm not just going to do what it says. And where everything falls is where it falls. But that New Testament teaches me to submit, to pray for them, to obey. I don't care what, whether your person's in power or not. Because when these guys wrote these things, you know who the person was in power? It was Caesar Nero. Why don't you go back and read your history and see what kind of guy that guy was? He was the worst. Maybe Caligula had a little bit on him, but Nero was the worst. This guy, this guy would light Christians on fire in his garden because, let's see, you want to be little lights of the world? I mean, he light you on fire and made us human torches. And once their bodies were charred, he would ride his chariot over the charred bodies, naked. He was crazy. This is the guy they're saying submit to governing authorities. He, Paul even said, pay your taxes to Rome. Jesus even said, when he had the coin about taxes, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So I can obey all these things. I can submit to governing authorities. But when it is above the scriptures, I'm going to give to God what is God's. And that's my worship. Listen, no, wait, 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 wait. Let me finish. Let me finish. I'm on a roll. Um, I don't know who it was the other day at the house and we're talking about Olivia and, and they said, you know, Olivia, this and that. And I said, I said, my wife's a workhorse. She works hard. She gets things done. She's always been that way. Always been that way. Now, see, I love my wife and I praised her. When you love somebody, don't you praise them? I love God. See, I know they can't understand that we love God, therefore we praise God. I know they can't understand that. So I decided we're going to worship. We're going to worship. Now, I got to move fast because I've taken a lot of time in this segment that I wasn't going to talk about, but with everything I thought I needed to explain and give biblical education on that. Now, quickly, quickly, what does the Antichrist do to get worship to him? Watch this. 
There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. Blasphemy is to speak evil of God. And authority to act for 42 months was given to him. 42 months, three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. Stop. He's not just blaspheming God while he's here on earth. Those in heaven, the people that have been raptured, he's even talking bad about us. He's putting it all down. Now watch what Daniel said 2,600 years ago about the Antichrist. He said, He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And, they will, and those are spiritual laws, by the way. We'll talk about that in the Reset series and later this year. And they will be given into his hand for a time, a times, and a half a time, three and a half years. So you see what he's going to do is he's going to be a person who's going to put down God, put down God, put down God, put down God, and elevate himself. Don't we see enough of that these days? Don't we see a put down of God? There's no God. If God was love, if God would do this, if God, it's all put down God. Have you ever noticed that weak people who lack character, watch this, this is just true. This is what you watch for if you're dating, watch for this. Because if they're doing this, you better run like the Dickens, man. They will put you down, put you down to elevate themselves and make themselves look better. That's what weak people do. Be careful to date somebody like that because that's what the Antichrist is going to do. Now, number three, and as we're going to drive it home, this is it. The third thing he's going to do is he will make persecuting Christians his top priority. Now, that's weird to me because I thought all the Christians got raptured and now he's going to persecute them in the seven-year tribulation. Anybody want to know what that means? Or you want me to just say amen now and stop? Oh, no. Okay. Verse 7, And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Like the question, I thought the Christians were raptured. Who in the world are these saints that he's overcoming and killing? Who are they? Well, here's who they are. Everybody that you and I have witnessed to, family members and friends have said, either I'm not ready, I don't want Jesus, and then the rapture happens and they're left behind. But they know enough to know what's coming, right? They know enough to know that you told them and I told them that one day we might just disappear. And a man of sin is going to come on the scene. And he's going to look really good for about three and a half years. But then he's going to walk into the temple in Jerusalem. He's helping them rebuild. And then they won't worship him and he's going to go nuts. And then he's going to hunt you down if you don't take this mark. But if you take the mark, you will die and you will spend eternity in hell because you pledge allegiance to Satan himself. Don't take the mark. You will tell them, don't take the mark. The rapture happens, and these friends and relatives, they didn't make it, but they know all this stuff. Some of them, when this all starts to happen, they will not take the mark of the beast because they know what happens if they take the mark. Antichrist will hunt them down because he is going to demand. Jesus invites us to worship him. Antichrist demands that you worship him. And if they say no, they'll be executed. And thus we find him here. He's making war with the saints. Later on, we're going to see them in heaven worshiping God. Now, if you're at home or you're here, and you say, well, you know, you're not, you're not telling me it's going to happen in my lifetime, so I got time. I don't need to follow Christ. Okay, but... Um, 
Wouldn't you like to follow Christ now and warn your children and start a legacy now of followers of Christ so that your children and then your grandchildren or possibly your great-grandchildren of Christ should tarry, that they would follow Christ? It's not just about you. It's never been about you only. See, it's time to follow Christ. Time to put your faith in Him. At home here, wherever you're at. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today's the day. Or if you backslid, you walked away from Christ, can you just get back in the game here? Get back to following Christ with your heart, with your being, with everything you've got? So if you've never placed your faith in Christ and you'd like to, or you've drifted away and it's time to follow Christ with your whole heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to have you to say this prayer with me. If it's your first time ever giving your faith to Christ, praise the Lord. Or if you're rededicating your life, praise the Lord. So I'm going to say this prayer very slowly, very deliberately with breaks. I'm going to have everyone here repeat it out loud with me. And if you're in this room and you're saying this prayer for the first time or rededicating your life, thank you. At home, if you're saying it, if you're with friends and family, you feel kind of embarrassed, okay, just whisper it or say it in your head, but tell somebody afterwards that you said that prayer. You got to do it. You cannot be a secret disciple. You can't do it. You'll stay secret the whole time and you'll never follow. So repeat after me. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me. Thank you for carrying my sins on the cross. Forgive me of my sins, and I know I'm forgiven. Today I choose to follow you with my whole life. Thank you for saving me. Now, close your eyes, bow your head, let me pray. God, I pray, Lord, for everyone who said that prayer. I pray for everyone, God, who placed their faith in you, either for the first time or in rededication. Thank you, Jesus, that you still save people, that you still love people. And I pray as you begin your walk with Christ, get a Bible, read that Bible. Stay in the New Testament. Have people help you to find those places. We thank you, Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen, Amen. amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.